Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Good morning. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation from sunny Los Angeles today. It's beautiful outside. I want to welcome an amazing human that I absolutely adore, Judy Amicangelo, one of the most authentic Italians, and I'll tell you that. Welcome, Judy. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me and supporting my podcast. Thank you for having me, and the feeling's mutual. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just love you. So your background, you're an independent product and CMF designer, works at Illuminare, or Illuminare, I believe, am I saying that correctly? It's Illuminare. Illuminare, <laughs> I should have known better. <laughs> and you've had your own company for four years. What, what is a CMF 40 designer? Years. 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. What's a CMF designer? Uh, it's a color material finishes, but we actually do advanced concept color trends and product design for the future. So that's what I do. You teach on that as well? Uh, at, at Art Center, I teach a, every six weeks uh, a guest type class. And oh. um my background really is an interior architecture, commercial interior designer, but I don't have my partner anymore. So I've been doing this for about 22 years. Yeah, I know you're very talented and I can talk about leather with you all day long, which is incredible, yeah. but I really want to love to get to your story. So how many times have you had to testify under oath? Three, three times. Three times. Both plaintiff and defense? Only plaintiff. I, I can't imagine what defense. Well, I suppose the first time was 40 years ago, and it was a labor dispute over, I had actually forgotten to even tell you this one, because I had a child, and my job, they promised they would hold for me, and the very next day I left, they hired someone. So I went to the EDD under oath in front of a judge, told them the story, and was actually granted the six-week leave. There was no pay involved, but and it helped to make mm. the whole precedent for that that labor um, law to be made. So it was a really good. Oh wow! That and I'd forgotten about that, but you know. That's not fair that somebody say they're going to keep a job for you. And shortly after that, I started my own business because that's what happens. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> and I, I don't know if I would be the defendant because 
I was plaintive, you know, but it was in a mm-hmm. neutral, it was the EDD, so it's a different thing. But you're still yeah. under giving a testimony. Yeah, and now that be a very groundbreaking thing to do. Because now no, women have their job for six weeks when they go to have a baby. There's no guaranteed pay. That's up to the employer. But no one can take it from you. I did not know that about you. That's really great. The second time I had a dog bite. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about I wanted to talk to you about that. Let's talk about your personal injury case. And uh, the third time was a car accident and with someone that ran a stop sign. And I was also involved in a hit and run riding my bicycle, but there was nobody to take anything up with because the other party hit me, left me in the street, and drove away. I know. I know. I hate that. So, you know, there there you have it. I don't know if it's accident (laughs) prone or just sort of out there all over the place, but that's it. Well, let's 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 talk to you about your your dog bite, your personal injury case, if you don't mind if I talk about that a little bit. No, um, go ahead. What what made you decide to advance legal action out of that? Can you just tell me the story of what happened? Well, I was walking my dog, and um, a dog ran out, you know, that wasn't leashed or whatever, and came, started a fight with her, and. Uh, she's she was a really calm yellow Labrador, so you know, didn't really fight back, and then just bit me so badly that my finger was severed from the from the hand. So mm. I think you have to go and get treatment, and then you don't know exactly how bad the injury is going to be. So that was something that we take up for medical issues and those payments. Uh, also, I'm a landlord. And a dog lover, so I know, I know the law about that. And anyone whose dog bites someone, they're responsible. It, mm-hmm. It's a guarantee. So you know, mm-hmm. it's just that's the way that the law works. That's the way your insurance works too. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're all insured for those type of things. And uh, yeah, that's why I did it. It was a really bad injury. I had to have the finger reattached. And then you don't really know like what you're going to be left with at the end of it. It healed really well. It just sticks out like this. I can't push it back. <laughs> but, but, so, you know. So, yeah, I, I, um, I had a slip and fall, as you know, and yeah. a new hip and a new back. And yeah, um, it was the same concept of okay long term you know what's what's this going to do uh-huh. and so so what what steps if, if someone's listening this is what we're we're here to kind of you mm-hmm. know help others what steps did you take from the time that you you know obviously had to get your hand fixed to legal action what what steps did you take well i went to a lawyer who who uh, they were actually really a good firm a brother and sister And they, you know, they prep you for what's going to happen. It's mostly insurance that argues with each other about whose fault it is, how much they're going to pay, all that kind of thing. And, you know, you're clearly hurt and and the Mm -hmm. party there. It's always very interesting to me. They prep you for a deposition and, you know, what's going to happen. And basically, 
um, I just told my story, the truth. But um, the other side, when they ask the questions, it's very intimidating and like you're not telling the truth. And I don't know how that could be when I was still sitting there with a bandaged hand. Mm-hmm. It was a while later, you know, so it had healed some. But but still, you know, I mean, it's it, it mm-hmm. was obvious in the whole thing that it had really happened. Mm-hmm. Well, and so talk to me about how they prepped you. How much did they spend very much time with you? Did they what, what was your prep like? And, you know, they also interject if it gets too hostile on the other side. The lawyer does as far as mm-hmm. what you and we didn't really prepare because it was such a cut and dried thing. I think there's probably way more complicated type depositions than the one that I had to give. But still important to you, right? Oh, totally. And you right. always feel intimidated and frightened, even though you're the one Very. that it, Very. It just, really, it's like, ah, oh, you know, and then you even question your own veracity and everything because it feels yeah, like that's what happened to me. I, I ended up. Those, you know, everybody said, "Oh, you're in the business. You this would be easy for oh, you." Yeah. And I was like, "I've said it before in the podcast. It was one of the hardest days, you know, worst days of my life, just because it was so uh, just intimidating, yeah, you know, frustrating that you're, you're here to tell the truth and no one's listening to your shaped. truth. And it's it's like you even question your own veracity. That's it. It's like, oh, why am I doing this? They make you feel bad, like it's, you know, greedy or that there there was that from the other side. Right. Right. Or that, you know, you're telling a little bit of the truth, but not really the whole truth. So you're telling more than the truth because you want more feeling. And I was just that's that's very degrading. Yeah. I heard that there was uh, my truth, not the truth. I remember that. I just said, no, there's only one truth. It's such a spin on the whole thing, you know? Right. But I mean, it's, especially someone who's not there. I mean, when you have two people that are there, you know, you, you might have a little bit of two different truths, one to how they see it and how you see it. There might be in their own mind. But yet at the same time, when someone is not there, who's just cross-examining you, it is that point of, that's why to me, the prep is so important that whether it's a cut and dry case or not, you are still person in that seat that needs to be prepped in a way that says, you know, mentally, this is going to be tough, right? Emotionally, as well mm-hmm. as mentally. Did they tell you that? You, yes. And they said that you have to be brave, but more than anything else, just totally honest, because yeah. I, I think that that's what prevails in any sort of a case. Yeah. Right. You, no matter like, how twisted they, yeah, no matter how it, twisted they want to make the truth or how much they want to twist it around, you know, I, my questions were like, you know, did you see it like this or did you see it like that? And when I didn't answer the question, they went, they wanted it. They just came back with the same question five different ways, right? And trying to get you to switch off your truth. But if you just tell the truth, there's just no way that it, that can change, correct? There's one point where you just stop. There's nothing else you can say, and basically. Right. I mean, you know, just being a, a person that that it could be on the other side, that what they're arguing about is a payout of money from insurance companies. And it's ridiculous because we're supposed to be protected for those things. The, the right. whole industry is 
is whack, you know, in uh, <laughs> people's lives. <laughs> so, you know, there's that too. To pay the least that they can pay versus yeah. pay what should be paid for the truth. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, they, they somehow know what that's going to be, what it should be, blah, blah, uh, what it is for future uh, injury, what it is for blah, blah. So, you know, instead of box. Intimidating, yeah, intimidating the witness that way for something fairly simple, mm-hmm. I think they should just not do that. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's, a, it's, I know with mine, it was like you fit into a certain box. You either in this box, low end, medium end, high end, depending on what your injuries were, and all they did is push you down to the next to the lowest box possible. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the hard part that you're trying to figure out how to determine your fate, your health, your your not just your wealth, but your health in in this kind of number. Was that hard for you to like say, well, my I'm worth more than that? I mean, how did you work ment or emotionally through that? I, I don't know. I, I, I think that I wanted to have all of my medical covered totally because I didn't think that that is anything that should be in question. And then just something for the future. It, you know, if it, you don't know if it would be arthritic or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not crazy, just what's fair there. And, and, right. uh, because it, it, it was in your injuries were much worse. I think it's all like, you know, it's commensurate with the amount of how you have to suffer. Yeah. So, unfortunately, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, it, it's about suffering. It is about suffering and pain, and yeah. you know, trying to navigate your way out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that was hard because I, you know, I was in had to go back in for a second surgery during the middle of COVID. I was like, but that doesn't get considered in one of the boxes. That's not one of the, you know, they didn't say, oh, this person really (laughs) suffered and was in the hospital during COVID when nobody's supposed to be in the hospital because she can't walk. And I sat back like, that's not a considerate, that's not a check mark in one of those boxes. It's like, so there's, there's that side as a, as a person going through that as a plaintiff, how did you deal with like your own value in that sense? Or did you just surrender and say, it's just the way it is? How how did you? I mean, you know, at some point you just sort of go to stop talking, but you always feel devalued in that situation. Like you're beneath yeah. that system and, and a liar and, and you know, it's, uh, it's rough. That's a rough thing to do. You have to take mm-hmm. a lot of deep breaths before. <laughs> yeah, or, that's for sure. You know, put yourself other beautiful place a field with butterflies and well that's that's beautiful to talk about because that's one of the things that in witness prep no one gets you to that mindset that's what frustrates me in the lawyer's world or the legal world i should say in the prep is that no one tells you how to get kind of up above that and out of that versus sinking into it and then walking away feeling like you just had a the most traumatic situation in your life i mean don't you think that would help if lawyers could actually walk you through that from the beginning and then kind of hold your hand afterwards instead of just coming in, talking, you're under oath, now you're done, here's a ham sandwich, see you later. Like, That's, you know. Here's a ham. No, it's true, though. And, you know, I find that your own attorney does that pretty much. But then, you know, they're, you're not prepared for the other guy. So, right. And I'm sure they wear those opposite shoes, too. So they, they're 
within their power to tell you all that. I, I, well, and it's, it's definitely from a little more holistic way of looking at it versus just a very logical, you're in an emotional, you're trying to make, not making emotion, they, they tell you don't make decisions on emotion, but you're in an emotional situation. So that's not humanly possible. And so why don't lawyers come back and say, let's look at this from a, you know, a mindset, a meditative state, like you just said, butterflies and puppies. And, you know, I know it sounds a little esoteric, but when you can rise above it, it really doesn't take you down, right? It, it doesn't take you down. I mean, but, you know, I could see in circumstances when it's way more like suffering uh, trauma mm-hmm. and repeat mm-hmm. trauma that sort of situation mm-hmm. because it sort of stops right. you tracks. Mm-hmm. And do I have time to tell a quick story that you'll love from the other side though? <laughs> sure. I always okay. love a good story. For many, many years, you know, we did commercial interiors and one of my very best clients, I had been, I'd done interiors at Epson. Then he opened his own law firm and they did sexual harassment law for big corporations. So they had to do lots and lots of depositions, both for their clients and the ones that were against. So the whole idea with the color work and CMF was to make the space work in the best possible way. And Hmm. so, you know, I had all the, when when it was a copacetic, um, and for their side deposition, we had a quiet, soft room done. And when it was mm-hmm. the main, for, for the other side, I said, we're going to paint the room purple. So, And they go, purple? <laughs> and then later on, I mean, I did all these wild things because it was a sexual harassment with big corporations. It should have been like that. They came to me about a month later and said, more people have confessed things in here because of the purple room. They hate it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So they, it really, truly works. And I well, felt very, very proud because I said, if you want to really make them nervous, make the room purple that they're sitting in. Well, I mean, color does that, right? I mean, talk to me about that. that that's a oh. very beautiful story but, because color does create emotion, right? But the whole point with the lawyer is they didn't need to intimidate the witness so much to get the right answers because the room did it for them. Right. It's actually brilliant, you know, because then you're not being so horrible. They said, yeah, we've been able to pull back and we get really good results from people because they don't want to be in this room. (laughs) Don't be in the room. So they, it's, well, and it's, so to talk about that, I mean, you know, color heals, right? It heals and it disturbs. Right. So. Right. So if somebody was going through the healing process, what kind of colors would you put around them? Um, I call them feel-good colors because they're actually of less intensity and and they have more chroma. And chroma in color is how much color is there and it's less. So. Mm. You know, they, they can actually be real colors, but they're softer. And um, you, so you feel comfortable, you know, like you are in it. It can be a real color, too. It doesn't have to be a white or, or you know, something lacking color. But you feel calmer. 
um, soothed. Is that why hospitals? Is that why hospitals use like more pastel type colors and things like they that? Do. Exactly right. Because it mm-hmm. puts the patient at ease, they're they're more restful. They wouldn't use bright yellow in a hospital because you would be. To. So, you know, there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I know that's as a designer, graphic designer, one of the things we always talked about was, you know, how color moves you, airports, uh, hospitals, you know, I design that way for the courtroom, you know, I mean, there's colors that move you to make decisions, there's colors that communicate things that most people don't even think about. And maybe one way to make people be calmer is to, you know, have them do some exercises like that before they testify, things that are calming. Uh, you know, uh, quiet music before or breathing. Right, right. You know, pretty and get them to, and that's about. That's what I said. It's like why don't why don't you just you know like you said not only you know get some kind of mindful exercise, but also show them you know pictures. A lot of times I would take my clients and show them schematics of the courtroom. Here's where you're going to sit. Here's where they are. Here's so there's there's not there's no you're not walking into this blank. You know, no human being likes to walk into surprise. Right. Unless it's your birthday. Right. That's really, but <laughs> I mean, I think you're so smart to do that because then they feel somewhat prepared and it's a right. shocking place, a courtroom and a, and a deposition room and all that. It isn't friendly. Mm-hmm. Start no. and blah, blah, blah. And right. But maybe before they testify, we should show them picture, really pretty pictures like of meadows mm-hmm. and all that. Right. Um, now, not to take their guard down or whatever, but I, I can't imagine like um, testifying in, in a heavy crime trial or something. It must be uh, uh, unbelievable. Well, that's why I'm trying to reach out to certain people, like especially some of the parents from Sandy Hook. Like, you know, they've that's why this podcast is trauma trial transformation because you've gone through trauma you have to go in and mm-hmm. either deposed or testify to it which is bringing up the trauma again and then how is someone healing from that and that's that's the whole point of this podcast is how are we helping people on the transformation side so can we help on the front end by that anxiety and at the same time are we able to help people afterwards instead of like i said just don't you know here's your lunch see you later you know versus what what's someone doing that's gone through a lot of trauma afterwards. Um, so, so talk to me about your healing process through all this. How, do, how have you worked on that? I mean, from this, the, the accident where my leg, my foot was severed because I got hit on my bicycle riding um, and then had uh, additional operations of two knee replacements and all that, six years of stuff from that. And there was nobody to do anything with because he took off the other guy mm-hmm. and just left me there so there's lots of trauma in that lots of trauma i mean i've been through lots of traumatic things my husband had cancer and died the you know i mean it's yeah. one after another and you have to start somewhere and go forward there's no way through it that isn't um just sort of taking it day by day and part of it really and truly is Mindful things, exercise, uh, you know, anything that gives you some uh, family and friends, totally, totally important. And then you can sort of stand in a new place. But I, I, I can't imagine what 
people like Sandy Hook losing their children and having to fight for it every day go through that level of PTSD must be. Because you do. Uh, There'll be a a smell or a sound or a street you drive down, and it all comes back, you know. And Mm -hmm. then you're traumatized, and you have to pull over to the side of the road and sort of deal with it. So... Well, that's what I've heard a lot of like therapists and, you know, psychiatrists stuff say that trauma really is about taking you back to that moment where you separate yourself because it's so hard. And it's that going back moment being able to versus trying to stay where you are because now you've gone through, you know, you how much from the time like, you know, I had trauma when I was, you know, eight, nine years old with my losing my brother. Yes. But, you know, it, it, still comes back. And I always say trauma hides, it wants to pop up like grief, it just it's got its own energy and its own personality. And so when you actually get to that point, it takes you back to this place. And that fight of getting back to where you actually are right now is just such a courageous and tough thing to do, right? And childhood trauma is forever. I mean, you're you're always just sort of dealing it in one way or another. And, yeah, you know, therapies, but you have to fight to be well. And a lot of people don't have yeah. the wherewithal because they're too weak to do that. It's, it, I get it. I totally do. And then it'll, it'll manifest itself in some other way. And, and uh, you know, I, there, there can't be enough time spent uh, urging people to seek that kind of help and relief because I think it does work. Right. What you're doing is very noble, very wonderful to make people feel more comfortable. Well, thank you. I, I, I feel like one of the things that I've learned more than anything else was it's okay to ask. You know, I, I just for the longest time didn't want to put my parents out. didn't want to put my siblings out. I didn't want to put anybody out. And that's so uh-huh. um, just me. You know, I, I, I didn't want to make anybody else feel bad because I felt bad. Mm-hmm. And um you know, at the same time, it's just hard to ask. And that's why I'd love to have this platform where people could just say, hey, I need help, you know, yes, I need to get through this trial process. And how do I do that? And um, not be afraid to ask their lawyer, right? I mean, that's right. Who is really help them with all of this kind and you can see how humane the lawyer is too. Because that should be right. the sort of thing that they they really are trained to help with too just beyond their legal training, their human training. Right. Doctors, lawyers, anybody that has sort of power over you, really. And right. um, and talk about it much more. Like in your forum, it's so good to be talking about it because I don't know of anybody that really does. I mean, it isn't right. like a self-help directed um and all related to trauma through this experience. So it's really, really a good thing. Just, well, and every day I, I, you know, you step forward and back and forward and back. And, you know, you learn to ask for help. But we're trained not right. to. From the time we're born mm-hmm. with our, those big families, you take care of yourself, you don't complain, you do this, you know what I mean? And you not know, to be the center of attention because, you know, you're part of a group. <laughs> and so um, those are a lot of things to fight back, <laughs> uh, to not be when we when we really are that way, you know. It's generational, too. Right. 
Yeah. And, it, and it's, you know, that's why I don't blame anybody for my trauma. I, I just really try to understand, have some faith, look at, you know, as I, I'm a big person with the Holy Spirit and the universe in my life. And mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things we're not going to have answers to, but that doesn't mean I can't take that lesson, hopefully, like you're doing and talking to me today to help somebody else. That, that to me, is what this, this thing called life is all about. How are we looking at our downfalls and trying to see them as positives and help other people through the same process because there's so many people that go through this process that have to take the witness stand or go under oath. And um, But I, I do know something about you that I absolutely adore and love is that you're learning hip hop dancing. Is that right? Well, I've been a dancer my whole life. And, um, you know, it was in all kinds of different ways. And with all the injuries, climbing back, once a dancer, always a dancer, because um, I'm doing it again, you know, at this age when they're all 29 in the class. And hip hop seems to be a little easier to, to do with all the injuries because, you know, it isn't leaping and turning and the things that I can't do now with, with two fake knees. So I love it. That's a big healer. And... Um, Three of my dance teachers are going to be in the Chippendale series, so I'm dying to see them because they teach me. Oh, that's, oh, that's great! I, I just I'm so excited for that. I just yes. I just want to see you dance. I, I love you love to dance, and I just think that you know, when you any way we can find ways to it doesn't matter what it is if it just makes us feel better outside of hurting ourselves from you know people gone through addiction, but. Who cares if it's just, you know, going to the beach and just staring at the ocean, if it's just, it's hip hop dance, if it's music that make ourselves feel better, that is healing, right? It's true. And you know that the, I can always tell when I'm happier because then the music comes more. It's like I have to have it on. Or go, if if you really are depressed going to the beach, the negative ions take it away because of the That's right. It really does work. It's yep. like, it is like magic. It, it's true. I mean, it, yeah. Now, how awesome is it that the moon can pull the tide in and out every night? So I just think of right. that out there, and then I just right, very small and powerless, <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. but it, it really it helps. Yeah, oh, I that's I I go to the beach. I try to go to the beach every Friday for two hours just for that specific reason. It's helped with my anxiety and depression. I mean, like nobody's been, <laughs> it's really been between that and my meditation work. But I like to ask everybody this question. Do you think healing's a choice? Uh, hard to answer. For me, it is and was. And, and, and it yeah. works because uh, there's lots of determination and, you know, I suppose it also depends on how severe, you know, if you're sitting in a wheelchair and never going to walk again, I, that might be a different answer. But, you know, with severe injury and all that kind of thing, I just kept fighting until I got to a point that, um, you know, it was minimized. And then there's a lot of acceptance in how you have to keep going forward. In other words, yeah, I can dance, but I can't jump high and turn real. It's okay. Just don't do it, you know? And it's, right. it, you, you take a step back, but, 
or, you know, it's just, I, I think that that part is choice and whatever skills or help you can have to have that courage and energy to go ahead and do it because it's draining mentally. It makes you sad. Mm-hmm. Days. I can't go on another minute, you know, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, the, but that part, you, you just have to know, as Churchill said, when you're going through hell, you just keep going. Right. <laughs> great. Really great. That's, that's a really great way. So you're just a huge inspiration, Judy. I, I um, like I said at the very beginning, and I'll say it again over and over, I just adore you. Your story is powerful and inspiring and you just, you don't stop. And the fact that I can't, I may need to take, come to one of your hip hop classes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I love it. Huh? I just love it so much. So, so I just really want to thank you today you know, for, for doing this with me, but you know, the, the last, the last, last thing I always like to ask is what advice would you give to someone who was in your shoes that you've learned from your experience? Um, try to be positive, stay close to people that you trust so that you have someone to talk to. And if you need a professional in any kind of way, seek that out. Because there, real there, there is a lot of benefit in somebody knowing something more than you do, and just keep going. Find ways, like they're they they're little quirky ways that you can comfort yourself too. And then, mm-hmm. I think that if we all do something unconditionally kind for someone else, it somehow heals us. It's mm-hmm. it's really a lesson that that. You know, outside of yourself, outside of your pain, outside of your anxiety, you know, there's another world there, too. So reach out. And yeah, I think that works. It worked for me. And I think the work you're doing is incredible. Giving people to talk about things like this and helping people who are stressed out and you know, at one of the worst times of their lives. That's a really, that's really good. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you. And uh, so uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you or can they find you anywhere specifically, like an email address or a work address? I have uh, all those social media that, you know, I'm not so good at putting my work up. It's a picture of my squirrel that lives in the driveway <laughs> but they can find me there <laughs> and uh, oh, on instagram or i have a website that doesn't have a lot of current things because they're all nda so <laughs> you know there you have yeah. it my big world of getting in touch with people i really just try to do right. it by text or <laughs> or in person <laughs> right. well that's good because that's that's what that's helpful for us, you know, to, to be connected, you know, not just through the well, computer. We so with COVID because we couldn't see each other. So, you know, right. We're adapting. I know. Thank for sure. you so much for the talk. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I hope this has also given you a little, little comfort today and everyone out there. I just want to tell you again, like I always do go out and spread some love and Thank you very much for listening. Again, this is Trauma, Trial, and Transformation, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find your books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts. The content, opinions, and information shared by the hosts and guests on this podcast are not to be considered professional legal advice or therapeutic counseling. If you need assistance, consult with a licensed attorney or therapist if you are appearing as a witness, experiencing emotional trauma, or are involved in any sensitive legal matters. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you.